today. Welcome. If you're a regular with us today, great to see you too. And what a great day to come. What a great day to come and be part of the church family because as Laura said, we are starting our year of biblical literacy this year. We're going to be on a journey as a church family, kind of digging deeper into the Bible. Now, many of us here are Christians. We say that we're followers of Jesus. If you're not, you are super welcome. It's great to have you, but many of us are. And many of us, whether or not we're Christians, would say that the Bible was an important book. Would that be true? Yeah, the Bible's an important book. And it's a book that is actually vital to help us get to know Jesus better. But today I'm going to do a little bit of an introduction to the Bible to get us all on the same page. And I don't know, I hope you're happy for me to be honest, because I could just stand up and say, oh yes, read the Bible, it's a great book to read. But actually, if you spend any time trying to look at it, you will know, like I do, that it is quite a challenge. Sometimes it can be quite difficult to understand. Sometimes it can be quite challenging to read. And so we've decided as the leadership of the church that in 2019, we want to engage with this book more thoughtfully. We're going to be reading it together, reading it personally, and we're going to be gathering together and looking at what it says. What we're trying to do in this year is we want to get a view of the kind of the overarching story, the big picture story of what the Bible says, but also we want to work out what it means and how we put that into practice in our lives. Now, we did talk about this in December for those of you who were around then, but maybe with the busyness of Christmas, you haven't quite had time to kind of connect and engage. As I was talking to you, you're here and you're grateful to have landed and had your coffee and the kids are off to school tomorrow and you might get the Christmas decorations down after lunch if you don't need to sleep. You know, you're just kind of, I'm grateful to be here. And as I'm talking about this year of biblical literacy, you're going, oh no, 6th of January, I was supposed to start on the 1st, completely forgotten. Well, my good news to you today is that if you would like to engage with us, and read through this book this year, which is what we're planning to do as a church family, it's not too late to start. Now, it might be that you're new here, you've turned up today, you didn't realize we were planning to do that, but this, you're thinking this church might be my home, and I encourage you as well, it's not too late to start. It might be that you've tried to read the Bible before, and actually you've got quite a disappointing relationship with this book. You've started it, You've got stuck on some of the lists and some of the details about how houses were built and who who's married to who and what their children were called and all that kind of stuff. And you've kind of given up. But my encouragement to you is, this year's a good year to read the Bible and it's not too late to start. Or it might be that you're here today and you just think, hmm, not really sure what I think about this book. It's been around for a long time. It has really weird thin pages mostly. And sometimes it's just really tricky to get my head around, and I don't really know if it's true. But I encourage you that if that's where you're at as well, this is a good year to read it, and it's not too late to start. So wherever you are, I just encourage you, would you join with us this year? Give it a go. Let's jump in as a community to actually start to read and really grapple with some of what it says. I've been doing a little bit of a research online about how people read the Bible and what they do, and we'll look about this a little bit more over weeks to come. But when I grew up, I was encouraged to have Bible notes where every day I was given a little verse to kind of chew on. And that can be a really good thing, but actually it didn't give me a big picture view of what the whole thing says and what the story is about. And so this year, what we're trying to do is we're going to try and start at the beginning and we're going to try and work our way through and understand some more about it. Now, there are lots of different ways to do this. And one of the things that we're suggesting as a church family is a particular app, which is called Read Scripture. And you can get it on your phone. And each day, it gives you three chapters to read, 
um, through, we're starting in Genesis at the moment, so because today's day six, I think we are on, ooh, Genesis 21, and also a psalm each day, so today's psalm is Psalm 6, and I have been doing it, and what I've found is that um, there are often a little video at the beginning, and so it tells you a little bit about the whole story of Genesis or what's going on in the book, and then there's something to read and something to ponder on. Now, not every day there's a video, but if there is a video on that day, then the whole thing takes me about 15, 20 minutes, and if there isn't a video, it can take me about 10 to 15 minutes. And so that's what I've been doing. I've spoken to some other people who've started too, who are really excited about what they're reading. I spoke to a friend yesterday who said, um, I don't like to read it in the version that comes on the app, so what I do is I look at what is the, the, requ- the reading for the day, and I read it in a different version. And some people I know like to read on screens, but for me, I like to read in the book, so I look up and see which bit it is, and then I find it in my paper copy. But it's, I, don't, I hope that as you engage with this, you will find too that there are things that you're discovering in the Bible that even though you may have read it before, you haven't actually seen before. Now, of course, that app isn't the only way to do it. We've printed off a reading plan that you might like to use. There's also one which is on the website. And there are lots of other things you can use. So Nicky Gumbel does a great Bible in a year. I followed through that last year. And he, you look at something in the Old Testament and something in the New Testament and also a psalm or a proverb. And over Christmas, I was chatting to another friend, and she said, well, I'm not a great reader. But she has another app, which is called Dwell. And apparently, it's got a fellow with a lovely voice who reads the Bible to you. And so she has a particular time of the day, and for her, it's in the evening. And she looks up the, the, the kind of passages that she wants to work through. There's a plan on that, too. And she sits there, and this man with a nice voice reads the Bible to her. And so it's great if you can open it and read the book, but if reading really, really isn't your thing, it doesn't need to stop you joining with us as we go through this book. So, the year of biblical literacy is going to have various different levels. The first and the most important, which is what I'm talking about, is actually personally opening up the book and reading it. If that's what you do and engage with this year, that would be a marvellous thing. And you know, we were looking last year about spiritual disciplines, and one of those is Bible reading. And it might be at the moment you haven't got a particular time or a place where you can sit and read the Bible regularly. And if you haven't, I just encourage you, find one. It's often really hard to add something new into our lives. There's a lot going on, isn't there? And so it might be that you choose to go to bed 20 minutes earlier, or you choose to get up 20 minutes earlier, Or you decide that when you have come home from dropping the kids off at school, that instead of just putting the telly on the radio or doing the cleaning, you're going to sit and read your Bible then. Or maybe in your lunch break, that's when you're going to choose to have a look. There are different times and places. But if you haven't got a regular time yet, I encourage you that can be a really great way to make sure that you keep on top of it. So as well as reading the Bible personally, the other kind of layers within this year for us are that we're going to be looking at the Bible really intentionally as a church family on a Sunday. Over the next few weeks in January, we're looking at the authority of the Bible. We're looking about why it's here. We're looking at how it came into existence and what it means for us today. And we're using some really helpful material from, there's an organisation called The Bible Project, and a number of other churches around the world who've been through a similar journey. Uh, The most local that we know about is um, our friends who are up in Central Vineyard in Northampton. But there's also John Mark Comer's church over in Portland, and Reality Church in San Francisco. A number of churches are just seeing the importance of intentionally working through this book. 
So as well as reading the Bible personally, coming on a Sunday to engage, we've also got the opportunity in our life groups to be going through looking at different questions and working out how we put this into practice in our daily lives. And as Laura mentioned, on Wednesday this week, Life Group Goes Large starts. I've spoken to a number of you who've signed up. I've seen you on Church Suite. If you haven't, I really encourage you to do that. We actually need to know by the end of today, in order to make an order tomorrow, who's coming. And so if you can come on Wednesday evening, I, I know it's not possible for everybody, but if you can, we would love to have you. If you're relatively new in the church, this would be a great way to connect with some other people who haven't met yet. If you've been around the church for ages, it's a great way to connect with people that you know already and also get to know some new folks. And so we're going to be doing that for these three Wednesdays. So why don't you, before you forget, get your phone out now and book online if you haven't and you'd like to come. You've got permission to do that. And then you can pull up the Bible app after that. So we're going to read the Bible personally. We're going to study it on Sundays. We're going to think about it in life group. And then finally, we've got a kind of a going deeper level. And throughout the year, we're planning to invite some different speakers who are going to help us chew over some of the more challenging areas and topics to look at. And the other thing that's really fun that I'm looking forward to is at the end of February, we're hoping to have a theatre company coming through, Searchlight Theatre Company, who have got five stars from Edinburgh Fringe, um, and they do a presentation of Genesis and Exodus um, to help us see kind of a big picture of what's going on. So loads planned, and the encouragement is it's not too late to start, but do jump in. So I'm going to ask you a question. The question is, hands up if you own a Bible. You've either got it in a paper copy or if you've got it on an app. Amazing, great. Now, I'm not going to ask this question, but what if I were to say, hands up if you read the Bible each day? Would there be the same number of hands who went up? Some of you definitely do, but some of us don't. And this isn't a reason to kind of get you upset, but I just thought, well, why don't we? God has a book out. It's available to us, but some of us don't read it. And there are some really good reasons, actually, probably why we don't. You know, some of us just don't like reading. We're good at reading blog posts and threads and um, kind of short bits and bobs, but then we find our concentration ends. Maybe we read novels, but I've said earlier, actually, the Bible is a bit of a weird book, isn't it? It's got those funny, thin pages. It's hard to understand. It's got some weird names and circumstances in it, and it can be a bit off-putting. But you know, I read an amazing stat this week. I have to look at my notes for this one. But some of you, this is not, I'm not making any judgment on this, and I'm not asking you to raise your hand, but some of you will have read the Harry Potter series of books. Some people are going, boo, and other people, yeah, it's great. This is not a judgment on Harry Potter, but that consists of seven books. There's a series of seven books. And within those books, there are 1,084,170 words. In contrast, this version, the ESV version of the Bible, All the different translations have a slightly different number, but this one has 757,737 words. And I think, if I've done my maths right, you can correct me with this, um, Josh, I think that means that there are a quarter of a million fewer words in the Bible than there are in the Harry Potter books. And so for those of us who could easily get through Harry Potter in a year, or maybe in a couple of months, The encouragement is, you can certainly get through this one. Isn't that incredible? (laughs) Just need that one to land. But so, isn't that a great thing to think? So we can look at this and go, oh, I'm not sure I can get through that in a year. But actually, if you can read seven or eight kind of young adult fiction novels, 
That's the same number of words that you've got to get through. So some, some of us don't really read, okay. Why else don't we read this particular book? Well, some of us really struggle with what it says. If you do have a go at reading the Bible, or maybe you have in the past, you will know that there seem to be some real conflicts and inconsistencies. The New Testament is a lot about a God of love, and yet in the Old Testament, he keeps on going around telling people to bump people off. How do we work that one out? That's a big tension, isn't it? <laughs> Not giving your answer today. Stay with us. But also, it can also be hard to understand the meanings of some of this. We really need to wrestle with. You know, Paul, um, in his letters, often talks about greeting one another with a holy kiss. Well, is that something we're supposed to do today? How would you feel if the welcome team kind of came up, lips flapping, on a Sunday morning? What do we do about it? When we read this stuff, sometimes we think, oh, not really sure what that means. But also, the Bible has been used to sanction lots of bad things. That's the truth. There's a lot of war in this book, and it's often been used to sanction bad and ungodly things. Slavery and sexism. And yet, really interestingly, it's also been used to encourage those who are trying to abolish slavery and who are trying to work against sexism or racial divides. That is a real tension. And as we look at the Bible, prayerfully, intelligently, and chew over it, we need to work out what in this book is here for us to obey. What is kind of culturally conditioned? You know, there's a bit which says women, we're supposed to cover our heads in church. Well, look, most of us haven't done that one, have we? But what is it? And what also is symbolic? So the challenge about this year, the nervousness kind of that I slightly have, is that this could be a bit contentious. As we choose to look into this book together as a church family, what are we going to find? And what are we going to do about it? You know, it might be just easier and a bit more convenient to toss out the difficult things. We could just boil it down, get some good inspirational quotes, one a day, put them on Instagram, wham, bam, and we'll try and live according to that. Why would we bother with trying to work through the whole thing? Well, last year we talked quite a lot, didn't we, about being apprentices or followers of Jesus, learning to live like him. And this is a book that he was nuts about. Jesus is a fully human and a fully Jewish boy read and memorised what he had of this book. The, the beginning was his, his Bible. He interpreted it, and he fulfilled what it said. I had a bit of a revelation this week. You may think I'm dense, because you may have known this for a long time. But I knew that Jesus was a rabbi. Jesus is a teacher. That was his job. And suddenly the penny dropped for me this week. So what was he a teacher of? He was actually a teacher of the Bible. That's what a rabbi was. A rabbi was an expert in the Bible who taught people the Bible. Now, with hindsight, we know he was much more than that. We know he was the saviour of the world. We've been singing about that today. But his job was as a Bible teacher. This was a book that he knew and loved. And the book that we have, we say it's a book, but it's actually a library. There are 66 books in here. There is history, there are stories, there's poetry, um, there's passion, there's intrigue, there's family breakdown, there's prophecy, there's a whole range of different things, letters, all within this book. And Jesus, the man that many of us have chosen to apprentice ourselves to and to follow, knew what it said and lived it out. So today we're going to have a look in Matthew. This was a biography of Jesus' life. We're going to go to chapter 5. And before we do, I'm just going to pray. Father God, thanks for your word. And we pray today you would just open our eyes to see great and marvellous things 
in your word. And give us the courage and the guts to wrestle with it and to live it out. Amen. And so if you've got your Bible on a phone or in paper, then I'd encourage you to pull it out today. Do you know what I haven't done is I haven't put stuff on the screen. That's a deliberate choice not to put the Bible verses up there because I want you to find it in the book and really know that it's there and know where and how to find it. And if you haven't got a copy, you can lean over somebody else today or there are some spares um, over in the back corner on the little bookshelf. So if you want to go and grab those, you're very welcome. And in fact, I did read some research which said that when we're reading stuff, um, if you want to concentrate and if you want to remember, at the moment, the, the proof, the evidence um, of study seems to show that you, reading on a paper copy really helps you to do that. I think when you read on a screen, um, you can just read much, much quicker, that's true. But actually to, to remember it, it's helpful to read it on paper. Now, a slight aside, I lost my beloved Bible this summer. I left it when I went somewhere. And it was a Bible that I'd had since we had been here, so it was really special and particular to me. And, um, but I had, it gave me the chance to go and buy another one. And I went to a Christian bookshop, and I said to the lady, where do I go for Bibles? And she directed me to the right corner. And there were these three huge bookshelves full of Bibles. And she said, look, there's a sofa there. Why don't you get a pile, go and sit on the sofa, and choose which one you like? And you know, I thought that was amazing advice because often it's really hard to know where to go, isn't it? What to choose. And so I went and sat on this sofa with this huge pile. I was kind of like, this one, maybe that one, mm, that one, pages are too thin, that one, the font is too small. We have to be aware of these things. Um, you know, I like the feel of that one. And actually, I like the color of this one too. And I like the version. And if you haven't got a Bible that you find easy to read, then why don't you treat yourself? Why don't you just go and spend a bit of time in a bookshop somewhere and look through some different ones to find a book that you're actually going to want to read. And so for me, the thing I love about this is Jesus' words are in red. A friend of mine, Jenny, who many of you will know, says, I just try and do the red bits, which I think is a really, really good thing to commit to. Anyway, it's a worthwhile investment if you haven't got one yet to get yourself a new Bible this year. But we are going to be in Matthew 5. We're starting at verse 17, and we're going to be looking at what Jesus' relationship with the Bible was. So Jesus said, don't misunderstand why I've come. I didn't come to abolish the law of Moses, that's the Bible that he had, or the writings of the prophets. No, I came to accomplish their purpose. I tell you the truth, until heaven and earth disappear, not even the smallest detail of God's law will disappear until its purpose is achieved. So if you ignore the least commandment and teach others to do the same, you will be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. But anyone who obeys God's laws and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. And I want you just to look at this briefly and look at three different things about Jesus' view of the Bible. The first one is that to Jesus, this book is actually a story. And it's a story that has its climax in his life. So he didn't look at the Bible as a list of rules to keep or an encyclopedia to kind of work out how to do things. He read it and saw it as a story. If you notice, he says, I came to accomplish the purpose. I've not come to abolish it. I've come to accomplish it. The story of the Bible is the story of God and people. And it points to Jesus because... It tells us where we've come from and where we're going. And it's built up towards Jesus because it tells us about his birth and his life and his miracles and his teaching and the kingdom coming through him and his death and his resurrection and then the Holy Spirit coming. 
And that's what all of the preparation, the first end, all points towards. If you've got kids or you've got children kind of related to you, you may well have seen that Bible, which is called the Jesus Storyteller Bible. Anyone seen that one? Beautifully illustrated. And the lovely thing about that, the little tagline is, every story whispers his name. And the beautiful thing about this book is it is a coherent story. It is a big picture. And all of the things, some of the things that we find really tricky to understand actually do whisper into the future, into, whisper into Jesus coming. So to Jesus, the Bible's a story that has its climax in his life. The second thing to notice is that to Jesus, the Bible is trustworthy. You know, he says in verse 18, I tell you the truth. He's saying this is really it. Not one little detail of what it says is going to disappear until it's achieved its purpose. And for Jesus, the problem usually wasn't actually what the Bible said. It was the way that people read it or didn't read it or misinterpreted it or didn't put it into practice. A couple of times when he's talking to some of the the people who really debated and, and knew the Bible well, he actually says, have you not read the scriptures? You know, you're debating around this issue, and yet you don't really know what the book says. And the third thing is that to Jesus, the Bible is authority. In verse 19, he says, if you ignore these commands and teach others to do the same, you'll be the least in the kingdom of God. Now, this book is important and it needs to be obeyed. I can always hear you saying, hmm, but what then about the tricky bits? Because the thing about this is that Jesus wasn't a fundamentalist. We know that. If you read on about his life, he wasn't just a rule keeper who read, well, it says in Leviticus 7, do this, so I'm going to do this. He actually broke some of the laws that were there in the Old Testament. And so the point about Jesus as a teacher, as a rabbi, was that he knew the Bible And yet he worked through it, he debated it, he prayed through it. He worked out how to live out what God was asking him to do. If we go on in Matthew, in verse 21, it says, You have heard, our ancestors were told, that's in the law, you must not murder. So that was what the Bible said, that was the command. If you commit murder, you're subject to judgment. We think, fair enough. But I say, if you're even angry with someone, you're subject to judgment. So he was saying, look, this is what the law says. But actually, let's look at what the heart behind it was. Verse 27, it says, you've heard the commandment says, you must not commit adultery. That's what the law said. And we think, fair enough, we know what happens as a result of that. But I say, anyone who even looks at a woman with lust has already committed adultery with her in his heart. So what's the heart going on behind what God has said in the book? And Jesus was looking at how to interpret and use the scriptures that had been given. In verse 31, you've heard the law that says a man can divorce his wife by merely giving her a written notice of divorce. That's what the rule said. But I say that a man who divorces his wife, unless she's been unfaithful, causes her to commit adultery. And in verse 38, You've heard that the law says the punishment must match the injury, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say, do not resist an evil person. If someone slaps you on the right cheek, offer the other cheek also. Now these are challenging verses to read. And as I read them this morning, actually, I thought, should I just miss out the one on divorce? Because that's a bit uncomfortable in our culture. And the truth of it is that as we talk about these things, it's really important that we are not 
putting ourselves up as judges and judging one another for where we are in our lives. But there will be things that as we read the book together, we go, hmm, so what do we do about that? As I read this book, I see things that maybe go, hmm, my life doesn't look like that yet. What am I going to do about that? And so this year could be really challenging. And so if you're faint-hearted and you don't want to challenge, then don't open this book. But if you're somebody who wants to be an apprentice to Jesus, who wants to be becoming more like him, then let's jump in together and commit to looking at it together and working out what it means in our community. When we look at the Bible, there are three different things we need to do. We need to say, what does it say? What does the text actually say? Then we need to say, well, what does the text mean? How do we interpret that? And then finally, how do we live that out? What are we actually going to do about it? So as I've said, this year isn't necessarily going to be easy. And we do need to wrestle and debate and pray. And overall, be kind. The aim of this year is not that we come out knowing lots more and winning loads of arguments. That is not what we're going to do. I'm not on Facebook, but I don't want to hear about anybody who's having big debates about Leviticus 7 versus Leviticus 19 and what this means and what you've done and what I've done. We're not into that. The point about reading this book is that it points us to a person, that it points us to Jesus, and our aim is that we're going to get to know him better. Now, Jesus is authority, our authority. He's our boss, and he loved the Bible. He had a really high regard for it, and so must we. You know, a couple of months or so ago, actually, we were talking to a lady. I was talking to a lady, and she was talking about something going on with her life. And she was a, a Christian, she was following Jesus, and she said, um, I'm choosing to do this. I know that the Bible says that I shouldn't, and I know that most Christians would probably say that I shouldn't. But my truth is, my truth is that I can choose to do this. And one of the real challenges about this book is that we can't really pick and choose. Yes, we do need to work out what is symbolic and what is culturally appropriate and what are the things we need to obey in our context. But once we know those things we need to obey, we need to crack on and do it. We can't just choose the things we want to and the things we don't if we're going to be apprentices to Jesus. Now, Simon Ponsonby is a preacher and an author that many of you may have heard of. And he said, the quality of our relationship with God depends on our relationship with this book. The devil hates this book because it exposes him and his strategies. He'll do everything he can to shut it down and to stop us reading it and getting it into our lives. And you know, even as I was studying this week, I had so many different distractions. I kept on thinking, oh, I just fancy looking on Airbnb for my next holiday and oh, I'm just going to sort out this and that and the other. And I kept on to go, no, let's get back to it. We're supposed to be reading the book. So there are loads of ways that he wants to distract us from that. And as we look through history, we'll see those, but there are loads of ways, historically and even today, where this book is contested, or it's not allowed to be read, because it's powerful. But as well as revealing the devil's plans and schemes, it also reveals the will and the ways of God, the God of the universe. He's revealed himself, he's recorded it in the book, and we can access it, we can access it at any time. 
You know, as I started reading through Genesis this year, um, I was a bit unsure about how it was going to be. I have read through Genesis. I've tried reading the Bible in a year a number of times, so Genesis is really to be familiar to me. Um, and so, as it may be some of you, and I went to Sunday school when I was a kid, so I know about Joseph and his Technicolor Dreamcoat, all that kind of business. And I just thought, oh, okay, what's new? But I have been praying for a little while that God would help me love his word, for me and for us, actually. And as I've looked into it, I noticed some new things. I was really struck by, there's a lady who's called Hagar. She has a really tragic story, which you'll, if you look in Genesis, you'll see it. But in Hagar 16, 14, she, she calls God a new name. First time it's mentioned in the book. She calls him the living one who sees me. Isn't that beautiful? And I just thought, wherever you are in your journey today, whether you feel like you are completely overlooked at work, or you haven't actually had anyone to talk to over the holidays, you feel isolated and you feel alone, the living one sees you. I thought, wow, this is really exciting. So I started making this little list now of the names of God as I come up upon them as I read it. And there's another name, and you have to apologize for my Hebrew. I did French O-level, not Hebrew O-level. But he is also called El Shaddai, which is a Hebrew word which means God Almighty, and El, I think it's Olam or Olam or something, which is the Lord, the eternal God. And I just thought, what a comfort. At the start of this year, an uncertain year for our nation, we are seen and known by God Almighty, the eternal one. He's been here from before the beginning. He will be here from after the end. He's seen it all before. Isn't that an amazing thing? And so as we read this, I just really encourage you to read it with a prayer. Before you start, say, God, show me something today. And you will read about the stories about the people who bumped people off and married the wrong people and slept with people they shouldn't and all those kind of things. There's real human life in here. But actually, as we pray, God will show us treasures that are for us today. And isn't that amazing? <laughs> I was going to say, and you won't find that in Harry Potter. <laughs> I just encourage you that as we open this book together, come with an open heart and come with expectation that God's going to speak to us. We're not just going to get to know more information, we're actually going to get to know somebody. And this year we're obviously not going to cover everything. You might have pet passions in the Bible, you think, oh I hope we talk about the colour of the, the curtain temple and wherever it is. Well, we probably won't cover that, maybe it'll come up somewhere, but... There may be things that you feel really passionate about and you want to go and study some more. Well, do it. Go for it. We are going to have different opinions. We are going to have conversations that may get quite heated. But as I said before, let's just be kind about it. At the end of the day, it doesn't really matter the colour of the curtain here or what happens with that. The question is, are we closer to Jesus and do we look more like him? I think that's all I want to say. So why don't we stand together? I'm just going to pray and then I'm going to invite Laura Cope to come and we'll think about some ministry in just a few minutes. So Father, thank you for this treasure. Thank you for just over 700,000 and something or other words that show us more about you and that help us become more like you. 
Thank you that this word is powerful and that even though the enemy would love to shut it down, he can't do that. And so we pray that as we open up this book together, as we open up individually, that you would come and show us those great and marvellous things in your word. We ask you give us a love for the Bible. We ask you give us courage to be obedient to those things that need to change in our lives. We ask you to encourage us that you'd spur us on to keep reading, you'd help us spur one another on. Father, we want to pray in advance about those difficult conversations, those things that are challenging, those things where we disagree. And we ask that you'd help us to be kind and to come to a place of peace together. And we just want to say we love you and we're so grateful. And so at the end of this year, please will you make us into a church who looks so much more like you because of the way that we've met you in this amazing book.